Let's get straight to the point. You want to grow your portfolio to deal with the rising cost of inflation to pay off your debt or your mortgage, pretty much anything standing in the way of you and financial freedom, right? Well, with Yahoo Finance, you can get access to the news, data, and tools that you need in order to help you reach that financial freedom. And when it comes to your financial future, you think you've done it all. You've saved, you've researched, you've invested all that you can. And now you need to take those investments to the next level by using what every financial great uses. Yahoo Finance. For more than 25 years, Yahoo Finance has been the brand behind every great investor. They're the number one finance destination, producing a holistic look at the financial news cycle, including breaking news, original perspectives, analyst ratings, independent research, customizable charts, and so much more. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit the brand behind every great investor, yahoofinance.com, the number one financial destination. That's yahoofinance.com. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Okay, today was a very significant day. It's a day that I have been anticipating for some time. And it's also a day that the mainstream financial media really doesn't understand. And the way they're reporting it uh, is not actually accurate. And they're, they're missing the, the finer points here, the more salient points, which is exactly why you listen to the Peter Schiff Show, because I don't miss those points. I understand. I can read between these lines and I know exactly what happened today. And I think it's such a significant day that I am going to be doing the Q&A for Shift Premium members immediately following this podcast. Maybe I'll, I'll wait a few minutes to catch my breath and give those of you who are not yet premium members an opportunity to sign up so that you can listen and participate in the Q&A. And you do that at shiftpremium.com, shiftradio.com slash premium. Now, the way the mainstream media is framing this is that the Fed won. This is the victory dance. The Fed has won the inflation fight, and that's why it doesn't have to hike rates anymore. Rate hikes are over, and we can now look forward to rate cuts that are going to be starting next year, maybe early next year. And of course, the market is celebrating. The Dow was up better than 500 points today. In fact, it set a new all-time record high. The Dow closed above 37,000 for the first time ever. And the intraday high, I'm reading it, was 37,094.85. Now, even though the Dow hit a record, it wasn't the biggest gainer on the day. 
The, the Russell 2000 was up like 3.5%. Although that's the only index that didn't hit a 52-week high. The S&P 500 and the NASDAQ hit new highs for the year, although only the Dow set a record high. Although I do want to put that record in its proper context because the mainstream media will never do that. So if you take the price of gold of approximately $2,000 an ounce, although right now it is trading above that uh, by a comfortable margin. Let me check on the current price of gold. It's at $22,040 almost. So $40 above $2,000. But if you just figure about $2,000 just to make the math easy, at $37,000, the Dow is roughly 18 and a half ounces of gold. So that's the price of the Dow if you buy it with gold. Well, that's not a record high, not even close. In fact, in 1966, the Dow was about 20 ounces of gold. So from the 1966 peak to today, in terms of real money, the Dow is actually lower than it was in 1966. In fact, it's maybe lower than it was in 1929 in terms of, in terms of gold. But if you want to know where the record high was, it was 1999, not that long ago. In 1999, the Dow cost 42 ounces of gold, almost. That's the all-time record. The Dow has never been more expensive, priced in real money, than it was in 1999. Now, that's how big that bubble was uh, during that decade. But we're still down 55-plus percent from that record. So the price of the Dow in gold would have to double from here in order to get that you know, record, to reclaim that record. So it's not going to happen. But the reason you want to think about the price of the Dow in terms of gold is because gold has real value. You can't measure it in terms of the dollar. The dollar's lost 99% of its value relative to gold since the beginning of the Federal Reserve. So obviously, the price of everything is going to go up when you're measuring it with something that's gone down by 99%. So you take that out of it, and you look at the real value, and it's not a record. But historically, the Dow is expensive. 18 and a half ounces of gold is a high price. The Dow does not deserve a high price. I think the Dow uh, should actually have a low price. There are so many problems looming on the horizon for the U.S. stock market that it should be trading at a discount to its historic average, not at a, at a premium. I think we have a long way to go on the downside for the real value of the Dow. Now, I don't know, nominally, you know, the Dow could keep rising. And in fact, after today, I expect the U.S. stock market to keep rising. Not for the right reasons, but for the wrong reasons. But it looks like the Dow's going to go up. I don't recommend buying it because I think foreign stocks will beat the Dow. Uh, I think emerging markets will beat the Dow. Uh, I think uh, gold, gold stocks will beat it. So I think that there are better horses to be on. And I do think, though, that the Dow is going to do better than uh, the, uh, the NASDAQ. I think that this new rally is going to be led by value stocks, even in the U.S. Real businesses are going to be the drivers uh, this time, not the pie-in-the-sky hyped-up uh, companies. Um, that's one of the reasons that 
the, the Dow outperformed the NASDAQ today. So I think that shift is taking place, but there's a much broader shift that most investors haven't even noticed. And that's the shift to international stocks, to international value, emerging markets, commodities, natural resources, gold. These are the trends that I think are gonna dominate going forward for the remainder of this year and then for the remainder of the decade. But let's go back and talk about what happened today and why investors were so excited and, and bought stocks and they bought everything. Gold was up, um, I think $45 an ounce today and up another 10 uh, this evening. So $55 an ounce uh, so far. And you know, when I did my last podcast, I mentioned that I thought the support for gold would be just beneath 2000. I didn't think that 2000 would be some kind of line in the sand that it couldn't cross, but I did think that we wouldn't get too far below it because I thought there was major support looking to buy gold below 2000. And that's what happened. Uh, yesterday and the day before, we kind of bounced around 1980-ish uh, as the low. And now we've moved above it. Now we'll see. I mean, I keep saying that maybe we've traded below 2,000 for the last time. And one of these times, it will be the last time. And I think there's a good chance. I mean, given what just happened, we could be off to the races. So let's see what happens when gold gets back up to 2,135, which was the old high. I expect gold to retest that price as soon as next week. And we'll see how much resistance there is up at that level. Ultimately, I think it's gonna cut through that price like a hot knife through butter. We'll see if it can do it uh, next week. I also would expect oil prices to move up a lot. You know, they moved down much more than I thought. We actually got below $70 a barrel. Uh, we were, you know, closing in on closer to 100. We had a big pullback, I think that's over. I think gold's gonna move up. The dollar got hammered today pretty solidly. Dollar index back below 103, 102 and change and falling again. I think it looks very, very weak. I think you can see some significant dollar selling happening almost immediately. But the, the catalyst was the Fed and not simply that the Fed left rates unchanged. Everybody pretty much knew that that was a, a done deal. In fact, the Fed has left rates unchanged now uh, for a while. I think this is the third meeting in a row where they haven't had any hikes. And, and so the third time's probably the charm. They haven't hiked three meetings in a row. They're not gonna hike. And Powell pretty much admitted that the rate hikes were over. I'm gonna get into a lot of these uh, questions and answers, which really, uh, you know, evidence that, and that's what got the markets very excited, although they were excited even before the press conference. The, the market started a rally just based on the prepared remarks, and I'm gonna go over those. But what's really significant, this was not the Fed winning its inflation fight. That's not what happened. The Fed surrendered. Inflation won the fight. And I'm gonna actually talk about the CPI numbers that came out yesterday and the PPI when I finished dissecting uh, what Powell had to say today. But this is not a pause or rather a pivot in victory. It is a pivot in defeat. The Fed stopped hiking rates because it can't hike them anymore. It's worried about the consequences of these hikes, particularly 
how it's going to impact the federal budget and all of the debt that is maturing and needing to be rolled over uh, in 2024 and the enormity of the deficits. And he's worried about what's going to happen in March when their bailout uh, loans uh, mature. Uh, so this is defeat. This is what I've been anticipating from the beginning, that it, the Fed would not win. The market doesn't realize that this is a surrender. And if people thought inflation was bad before the Fed declared victory, wait till they see how much worse it's going to get now that they've declared it. Because the declaration of victory, even though Powell did go out of his way a couple of times to say we're not declaring victory, if you read between the lines, and it wasn't hard to do that, he did that on multiple occasions and also on behalf of everybody else at the FOMC. But now that the Fed has said, you know, mission accomplished, the dollar is going to tank. Commodity prices should soar. And that is going to reinvigorate inflation. It's not dead. It's alive and well. As much as the financial world wants to bury it, it's going to resurrect. It's going to rise uh, like a phoenix from a pile of fake ashes because this declaration means that the dollar goes down, commodities go up, and now all the inflation measures are going to go in the other direction. Because the main reason that the CPI and all these measures came down was because the dollar went up and brought down commodity prices. That was it. The dollar went up because the Fed was promising more hikes to fight until inflation was vanquished. Well, now it's done fighting, and it's just hoping that inflation goes away. The Fed is claiming that it's done enough, and it just wants to sit back and, and watch uh, inflation continue to fall, even though the Fed is no longer hiking rates. In fact, the Fed expects inflation to keep falling, even though it's going to start cutting rates early uh, next year. That's not going to happen, uh, and inflation is going to get much, much worse. And, and, and so th this, is, this is exactly what I've been saying would happen, and this is why we've been waiting patiently, why we've you know, maintained uh, our investment position, why I have advised against holding on to cash. You know, there are some advisors out there that think they're so smart that they want to wait for the Fed to actually cut, that they want an engraved invitation that it's time to buy gold stocks or foreign stocks. You can't wait for the actual cuts. The markets are going to anticipate that. By the time the Fed actually gets around to cutting or going back to QE, you would have left a tremendous amount on the table. Who knows how much higher the price of gold can be before the Fed actually cuts? Who knows how much lower the dollar could be before the Fed actually cuts? Now, the dollar is not going to stop falling when the Fed cuts. I don't think gold is going to stop rising, but I'd rather already own it now than wait to buy it at much higher prices. Anyway, we've got a quick commercial break. We'll be right back, and I'll get into everything that, the, that the Powell said at today's press conference. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. All right, so getting right to the prepared remarks, this is the statement that Powell delivers 
prior to accepting questions from the audience. Uh, and he basically said the same thing he normally says, patting himself on the back, right? We're doing a great job talking about how the Fed is committed to achieving its mandate of price stability, which of course the Fed defines as prices rising by 2% a year, which is hardly stable, right? It's just their, their, way, their, their definition, which is not the definition that most Americans uh, would adhere to. But anyway, he said, we're still uh, you know, a ways away. Inflation is still too high. The path is uncertain. So he starts off talking about that. Uh, he said that the policy rate that we have now, the one that he described, you know, the Fed funds is now five and a quarter to five and a half. And he said it is well into the restrictive territory. So he's saying rates are not just restrictive, but they're well into the territory, meaning that even if rates were lower, Powell still believes that policy would be restrictive. Now, I think it's still accommodative. The rates aren't even high enough. Uh, but, you know, obviously Powell's got no stomach for, for that. Um, he said that interest rates at their current level are still uh, exerting downward pressure on economic growth and inflation, assuming that economic growth and inflation go hand in hand, which they do not. Uh, but Powell doesn't understand that. And he did acknowledge policy lags, saying that uh, our rate policies, our rate hikes, uh, there is a lag between the hike and the effect on the economy and inflation. So he's basically telling people that, you know, he thinks he's done enough because he expects that we haven't even seen all of the benefits of the Fed's tightening because of, uh, of the lag. But, you know, Powell is right about one thing, and there's not that much he's right about, but he's right about the fact that there is a lag but he's wrong about what policy is lagging. See, the real lag is not the hikes, but the cuts. That's the lag. The inflation that the Fed created, starting in 2009 with the introduction of quantitative easing, all the way up uh, through 2021, that massive expansion of the Fed's balance sheet, the more than a decade of 0% interest rates, that easy money policy has operated with a huge lag. And we're only at the cusp of that. So most of that monetary policy, most of that ease is still lagging in the CPI. We haven't caught up to it. That's the lag. It's not the hikes. It's the cuts. It's the quantitative easing. Prices still have a long way to go up from here to catch up to all that easing. So that's where the lag is. It's not with the hikes. <laughs> they were too little too late. And they're going to be reversed. Uh, it was uh, the cuts or the effects will be reversed. I don't think they'll be able to get all the way back down to zero uh, when it comes to, to rates. But anyway, a couple of interesting points that he made uh, in the prepared remarks. He admitted that inflation, and now again, now the Powell chose the PCE the Personal Consumption Expenditure Index. This is now, you know, his benchmark to get to 2%. Well, that's not the CPI, right? Most Americans want the CPI at 2%, not the PCE, because the Personal Consumption uh, Expenditure Index is the most flawed because it's the index that most understates inflation, even more so than the, than the, PPI, than the CPI. So if actual inflation is you know, it's 10%, and the CPI says it's 5%, the PCE might say 3%. And the reason the, C the PCE, 
is so inaccurate is because you have all kinds of hedonics and substitution and stuff like that, more so than you have in the, um, in the CPI. So if the price of steak goes up uh, and they substitute hamburger, you know, that, that keeps the PCE from going up. And if hamburger becomes too expensive and you're eating dog food, well, the CPI doesn't go up because, hey, you're just eating dog food. No problem. Who cares what steak costs? Because you're not eating steak, you're eating dog food. So shut up and, you know, you know, just swallow it because there's no inflation because you were able to substitute dog food uh, for filet mignon. Well, that's the reason that the PAL is now using this index all of a sudden. Like, that's what he talks about, not the CPI, the PCE. But he said that um, he expects the PCE to be 2.6% um, um, so he expects the PCE, which right now is rising at 2.6% year over year from November, and 3.1% is the core. That's the core PCE. He says that he expects the PCE uh, to, at the end of 2024, um, to be, oh, no, 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 Fed fund, that's a Fed um, 2.8% this year. Year over year, he thinks it's going to be 2.8% this year. He expects it to be 2.4% in 2025, at the end of 2025. And finally, he expects the PCE to get to 2%, that's the target, by the end of 2026. But who knows where the CPI will be when the PCE is all the way down at two, but again, they don't know. This is just a guesstimate, but it's still 2026. That means six years of inflation above 2%. That's a long time to be way above your so-called target, especially now when you're lowering the bar for 2% and you're going to the, to the PCE. But the other important uh, string of data that he revealed was where the FOMC members anticipate interest rates at the end of 2024 and at the end of 2025. And this is based on their dot plots. So the FOMC members believe that interest rates will be at 4.6%, the Fed funds rate, by the end of next year. 4.6. It's at five and a quarter to five and a half right now. Well, if the FOMC members expect a year from now interest rates to be 4.6, that's at least 75 basis points below where they are right now, what does that tell you? They expect interest rate cuts next year. And at the end of 2025, they expect the Fed funds rate to be 3.6%. That's almost 200 basis points below where it is right now. And at the end of 2026, they expect 2.9%. So this tells you that the hikes are over. In fact, that's, I mean, they're, they're practically engraved you the invitation by saying this. So everybody thinks that it's appropriate to start cutting rates. Now, Powell, you know, and I'm going to get to the Q&A, but he kept saying, look, we don't want to uh, take rate hikes off the table, even though we don't expect them. They want to still maintain the possibility of hiking rates, but nobody expects hikes, 
hikes in rates. Nobody believes that rate hikes are appropriate. In fact, everybody believes that rate cuts are coming. Nobody sees rates staying where they are. Everybody sees rates coming down, but why? They're not high. They're not high by historic measures at all. Why should they be cut? Well, they're gonna be cut because the Fed is gonna be bailing out the economy, bailing out the government, bailing out the banks and the financial market. Even though the Fed is pretending that that's not the case, that is the only reason that you would cut rates. But anyway, uh, let me go to, uh, to the questions and answers because that's where a lot of stuff came out. Uh, so Powell, you know, said he, we're pretty much done hiking, right? Or somebody, somebody asked him, are you pretty much done hiking? Is your stance now neutral? And do you think that rates have peaked? That was basically one of the questions. Uh, and Powell, you know, didn't really say, yes, they've peaked. He said that we don't want to take hikes off the table, so it's still possible, but it's not probable, right? That it looks like rates are going down. I mean, that was as close as he could get to hitting you on the head and saying, yeah, you know, we're not hiking rates. If they were going to hike rates, they would have already done it. They're clearly not doing it. They're done. Um, he was asked, could the Fed be cutting rates soon with inflation falling? And Powell said, again, doesn't, he doesn't really answer questions. You, you, they ask him a question and he, he kind of ignores it. But if you listen to what he says, you, 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 can, you, know, you can glean uh, something from it. And he started talking about, well, are you asking when it may be appropriate to start dialing back the level of policy restraint? And he said that they're not discussing that right now. They don't really know. Uh, it's kind of early to declare victory. But again, he didn't, he didn't say that we're not going to cut rates. He continues to uh, talk about it. Somebody asked him, are you confident that the economy has avoided recession? Again, he doesn't just say yes. He says that we're not in a recession now and that he doesn't think that we're going to be in one. He said it's always possible. He basically said that it's always possible that at any moment you can have a recession. But he was basically saying that he doesn't think that the odds of a recession now are any higher than they are in any typical year. Any given year, there's always a chance of a recession. So basically, he's saying, yeah, I, 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 we, we've done it. We've won. We've destroyed inflation. And we haven't actually had any collateral damage to the economy. The labor market is still strong. The economy is strong. And, you know, we did the impossible. We stuck the landing. We threaded the needle, right, you know, claiming all this stuff. The only reason that he hasn't killed the economy and killed the labor market is because he hasn't killed inflation. Inflation is alive and well. That's the reason. If the Fed really did what it took, if it was going to continue to hike rates like it should, if it was going to force the government to cut spending, which is the purpose of a lot of these rate hikes, then we would have seen the damage to the economy. We would have seen the damage in the labor market. It's only because the Fed surrendered and that inflation have won that we didn't see that type of damage. Anyway, we got another commercial. We'll come right back. We got a lot more to discuss on this podcast, so don't go anywhere. Traffic jams, tailgating, pileups. Ugh, the joys of driving. How could it get worse? 
the federal government wants to have a say in what you drive. That's right. The Biden administration's EPA is pushing mandates that would ban two out of every three vehicles on the road today. Don't let Washington become your backseat driver. Protect the freedom of driving your way. Visit energycitizens.org. Paid for by the American Petroleum Institute. All right, so I'm going over a lot of the stuff from the Q&A today, and I'm reading. I made all these notes as I was listening to it, so I'm just trying to refer to them during the podcast. Um, Powell was asked what surprised him about the economy. And, of course, he said, well, I was surprised by how strong it was, how resilient it was, how strong the labor market was. It's like the, the Biden administration wrote that script for him, and he's talking about how great the economy is. Um, then... He was asked, uh, policymakers are writing down cuts, uh, but um, he admitted that policymakers were writing down interest rate cuts because, again, he's asked about cuts, but they don't want to take hikes, the possibility of hikes off the table. But clearly, right, all these dot plots indicate cuts. And, and, and almost every question that Powell got, you know, revolved around when the rate cuts are going to happen, how soon could they happen, what, the, what is the criteria for the cuts. The interesting thing about this, and nobody really picked up on this, at the last FOMC meeting, that was in November, it was early November, the last meeting, Powell was asked about rate cuts. And his response was, we're not talking about rate cuts. In fact, we're not even thinking about rate cuts. That's what he said last month. The Fed isn't even thinking, let alone talking, about cutting rates. Now, at the time I did my podcast, I said, well, that's BS. Of course they're talking about it. Of course they're thinking about it. What else are they talking about, right? That, I mean, that's all they do is raise and lower rates. How could they not be talking about when they're going to cut? I knew that was a lie. The Fed just didn't want to show its cards, at least not yet. Well, it showed them today because they, they didn't just think about cuts. They're talking about them. They clearly talked about them. And they didn't just start talking about them, you know, since the November meeting. They clearly have been talking about it for a long time. So I was right again that the Fed was lying back then, that they weren't thinking about uh, cutting rates. They, they really thought a lot about it. And now they've announced that they're going to do it. <laughs> and they're going to uh, be cutting a lot according to uh, their, their projections. Um, he, this was a, here's a really interesting question that I thought was really just a green light to, to buy the market. Right? Powell was asked, or the, the uh, reporter pointed out, that the markets are ahead of the Fed, just like the markets anticipated the hikes, the markets are now anticipating the cuts, and so the markets have already loosened financial conditions in advance of the first rate cut. And the reporter asked Powell, are you okay with this? Is this a problem? Now this was an opportunity for Powell to push back against the rising Dow and the rising stock market to kind of tamper the enthusiasm by saying, yes, right, I I don't like that. You know, I'm uncomfortable with the markets uh, getting so far ahead of the Fed and, 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 and easing prematurely. He didn't say that, he sidestepped it. He basically has no problem with what the markets are doing. And, and, and so that was, again, like, you know, waving a, a flag literally at a bull. And this is an indication that, hey, I'm fine. I don't care. 
I don't care if the stock market is going up because I'm talking about cutting rates, even if that you know, ends up being a problem, even if that creates easier money than I want and that puts upward pressure uh, on, in, on inflation. Uh, then the question was, the markets are thinking that inflation has come down credibly. Do you agree? And he basically said, I welcome the progress. Progress is great. Uh, yeah, we need to see a little more evidence, but I'm very pleased. Uh, you know, I mean, basically, he's like, yes, he's, he's saying we've won. I mean, sure, we'd like to see inflation a little bit lower, but, you know, we pretty much know it's going to get there. And, and so that's why we could start cutting rates. Uh, he, Powell was asked to comment on the state of the labor market. He kept talking about how strong it is, how, you know, how, how resilient, how the unemployment rate is low, how we have strong job growth. Again, you know, just reading right from the Biden administration, uh, uh, you know, talking point list. He was actually asked about the disconnect between the public's view of the economy and what they believe to be reality. He said, hey, the public is really down. And, you know, they think the economy is bad, but, you know, we know how great it is. So how do you explain that? And what are you going to do about it? And he really, again, offered no explanation. But he said, yeah, you know, it's, uh, you know, it's disappointing. But, you know, the Fed is going to focus on its job. We are going to uh, restore price stability. And that's going to help uh, uh, the people. It's going to help them feel better when the Fed uh, does its job of restoring price stability. First of all, the Fed is not going to restore price stability. It doesn't even want to restore stable prices. It wants to restore prices rising at 2% instead of rising at more than 2%. But if we didn't have a Fed, if we had a sound monetary system anchored you know, in a free market, then we would have stable prices. In fact, we'd have falling prices, which are better than stable prices. That's what would benefit people. The Fed's policy is interfering with the free market, which otherwise would have delivered, sta delivered stable or falling prices. It's the Fed. The Fed is the reason that prices are not stable. It's the reason that prices are rising and while they're going to continue to rise. So while, while, while Powell says that the Fed is the champion of the little guy and like the only hope the average American has is the Fed and the Fed doing its job, the Fed is the problem. The Fed is, is responsible for the misery, uh, for the uh, you know, increase in the cost of living. And Powell doesn't even recognize that. Um, and then here's a funny question. <laughs> Somebody asked him this. When you begin cutting, will it be a trial and error? Or are you going to have, you're gonna, are you going to tie the cuts to any kind of specific measure? Uh, and Powell said, you know, we haven't really worked any of that out yet. Like, you know, we're just starting to have these talks about cutting rates. So we really have no idea what the criteria is going to be. We're just, you know, flying by the seat of our pants at this point. We, we don't know. We're just going to start cutting. I mean, he knows the reason they're going to cut is because the economy is imploding, because the government can't sell its debt. And so they're going to have to monetize it. Now, this next point was one of the most significant parts of the Q&A. Again, nobody talking about it other than me. Um, a reporter asked Powell, how close to 2% inflation do you need to be before you start cutting rates? Because we're still nowhere near 2%. And Powell said, you don't want to wait for 2%.
to start cutting. He said that would be a mistake. He said you need to start cutting rates way before you get to 2%. Not just before, but way before. I mean, what does way before mean? How long before? Are you talking months? Are you talking years? Well, clearly, if the Fed is going to start cutting rates next year, and if by the Fed's own forecast, we don't get to 2% PCE until the end of 2026, he obviously means we need to start cutting rates years before we get to 2%. Well, the problem is if you start cutting rates years before you get to 2%, you're never going to get to 2% because you started cutting rates. But Powell tried to explain that there's a lag. And he said that the reason you can't wait for 2% is because if the Fed waits that long, they might overshoot. Now, what is overshooting the 2% target mean? Well, that means that inflation may go below 2%. It may go to 1.7. Oh my God, we can't allow that. The Fed is so worried that inflation might be below 2% that it's going to start cutting rates years before it gets to 2% just to make sure it doesn't go below 2%. But that is not a risk that we should be guarding against. That would be a relief after six years of inflation well above 2%. Wouldn't it you know, would it really be so bad to have a year or two where inflation was less than 2%? What's wrong with overshooting? Absolutely nothing. But the Fed doesn't want to do that. It wants to stick the landing right at 2%. And it wants insurance that it doesn't go below 2%. I mean, whatever happened to, in, to inflation averaging? Remember that policy that has been abandoned without any fanfare? The Fed unveiled it a couple of years ago when inflation first got above 2% and they didn't want to hike. And so they said, well, now our target isn't 2%. It's an average of 2%. So now we need inflation above 2% for a few years to make up for the fact that it was below it. Well, if we're above 2% inflation for six years, what's wrong with being below 2% inflation? Powell is so worried, apparently, that inflation might be less than 2% that he's willing to take a chance and start easing years before we get there because he just assumes that we're on a trajectory. So as long as inflation is coming down, he's going to assume it's going to keep coming down even if they start cutting because he thinks there's a big lag there. And so the lags of the hikes will, you know, will, will supersede the cuts and we're going to continue on that downward trajectory even though the Fed is cutting rates. That's never going to happen. That is pure fantasy. But the fact that he would say we're worried, we're worried about inflation being too low. What American is worried about that? It's like, oh, man, you better make sure, pal, don't overshoot your inflation 2% target. That would be terrible. I, I couldn't handle prices only going up by 1.5%. So you better take out some insurance. I mean, now that would be horrible. I mean, especially since prices have already doubled or whatever they've gone up. You know, no, no, you got to really make sure. Well, you wouldn't want to overshoot that 2% target. Now, that, would, that, could, that could really be harmful. I mean, does anybody wake up or, or realize how completely asinine that statement is, that that's even something that he's concerned about? But he said, yeah, we're worried. We don't want to overshoot. No, no, no. We don't want to do that, right? <laughs> um, but this is a clear sign that they are going to uh, cut and they don't give a damn about inflation. If they really wanted to make sure inflation was gone and dead and buried, 
they would wait for 2%. In fact, they would want to let it go below 2% for a while just to make sure it stayed there. Like, what if you just touch 2% and then immediately go right back up? I mean, what good is it, right? This is all a bunch of BS. Um, reporter asked him, oh, that same reporter said, well, what about 3% then? I mean, is, you know, if we're below 3%, is that good to go? Is that when you can start cutting rates? And Powell said, well, you know, I don't want to put a number on it. I don't want to have any specific uh, level, <laughs> which probably means it doesn't even have to be under 3%. It could be over 3% and they're going to keep cutting because the cuts have got nothing to do with inflation. They're not cutting because they won the inflation war. Again, they're cutting because the economy can't afford to win the inflation war. So inflation of one, and we're cutting to bail everybody else out. Um, he was asked on his, about his balance sheet, though, uh, about quantitative tightening. This is another significant comment that was kind of lost in the media. Maybe somebody picked up on it. Um, I'm not sure. But he, was, he said, what about quantitative tightening? Because you're going to start cutting rates um, next year but you're doing quantitative tightening. So are you gonna keep you know, shrinking the balance sheet and, and, and doing QT while you're cutting rates? Because those would be you know, diametrically opposed uh, policies, right? You'd be easing with your rate cuts, but you'd be tightening with your quantitative tightening. So the reporter said, well, what are you gonna do? And first thing Powell said is, let me make this clear. We're not even talking about any adjustments to our balance sheet yet. Now, of course, that's exactly what he said last month about rate cuts. Somebody asked him about rate cuts. He said, oh, we're not even talking about it. We're not even thinking about cutting rates. And at the very next meeting, that's all he's talking about is cutting rates. So if he puts out this month that we're not even talking about any changes to quantitative tightening, that doesn't mean that at the very next meeting, he's going to announce changes to quantitative tightening. So that's number one. Right? By putting that out there, you know, it's clear it doesn't mean anything because it didn't mean anything last month when he said he wasn't thinking about raising rates. So now he's saying the same thing about quantitative tightening. You better believe they are thinking about uh, reversing quantitative tightening, not just stopping it, but easing it. And proof of that was also revealed uh, uh, later in this explanation. He said that it would not be inconsistent to do quantitative tightening and cutting rates depending on the circumstances. So he said if the only reason we're cutting rates is because they're too restrictive and we're just trying to normalize rates, well then we're still trying to normalize our balance sheet which is too big. So continuing to shrink the balance sheet to get a normal balance sheet, whatever that is, and, and cutting rates to normalize rates, those policies would not be mutually exclusive. But he said, if we're cutting rates for a different reason, basically the economy is weak, and that's why we're cutting rates. We're trying to stimulate the economy. Well, then obviously, uh, he's going to, they're going to stop quantitative tightening. In fact, they're going to reverse it. So I think that explanation, when Powell said, well, it depends, right, in response, what are you going to do with your balance sheet well, it depends on why we're cutting rates. He's admitting that if they're cutting rates because of a problem other than just normalization, if there's some reason that they're cutting rates, and believe me, there will be, then it wouldn't make sense to continue with quantitative tightening. 
So in effect, what Powell also did with this press conference is he opened the door to quantitative tightening. I mean, to quantitative easing, to ending quantitative tightening and resuming quantitative easing. And you know, any door the Fed opens, they are going to walk through. And that is exactly what's going to happen. So this is really uh, the day uh, that we have been um, looking for. The Fed capitulates. The Fed surrenders. The Fed pivots. In fact, you know, Powell, one of the things uh, he was asked about was his decision making. You know, are you, do, do, do you, do you do what's right for the economy or do you consider politics or something like that? Which, of course, he immediately answered that question with a lie. Oh, no, no. We, we never consider that. I mean, we always do what we think is best for the economy. No, <laughs> they always do what they think is best for the incumbent uh, party to get reelected, whoever occupies the White House. Now, maybe they think doing what's best for the economy is preserving the bubble, right? Keeping the bubble from popping, preventing reality from rearing its head, right? Let's, let's maintain the intoxication and the illusion that goes along with it, right? So yes, we're trying to keep everybody drunk and, and stupid so they don't realize how bad the economy is while it's getting worse. Uh, that's basically what he meant. Um, anyway, so I want to get to uh, the economic data too that came out on inflation earlier in the week. In fact, we got some economic data earlier today on producer prices. But yesterday, we got the November uh, consumer price number. Now, this is the last CPI we're going to get this year. But of course, in January, we're going to get the December number. So we have one more CPI for the year, but we won't get that number until the new year. But it was hotter than expected. I mean, not a lot. They were looking for unchanged, and it was up 0.1. And year over year, uh, the CPI was up 3.1 which was in line with expectations, slightly below the prior month's 3.2. But the core, ex-food and energy, was up 0.3. That's a big number. It was in line with expectations, but not only was it a big number, it was bigger than the prior month. The prior month was up 0.2. So core CPI is rising month over month to an annualized rate of 4%. So on top of all the inflation we've had, core prices year over year, November, are up 4%. That is still double, double the Fed's target of 2%. So even though we've doubled their target, the Fed is already talking about cutting rates uh, and that the high is in. Well, how does he know? How does he know that we're going to keep on moving towards 2%. He's just making a big bet that inflation is going to continue to trend down. What if he's wrong? What if it just turns around? What if it just spikes up to 6 or 7? Then what is he going to do? I mean, why even make that bet? I mean, if we really had a strong economy, which we don't, but if we did, then the Fed wouldn't be doing this. The Fed would want to make absolutely sure. If Powell is right and he says, look, we don't know for sure, uh, you know, if you know if we've won, I mean, we then then stand tight. Don't cut rates. Don't tell the markets you're going to cut rates. You know, a wa- a long time ago, I did a podcast where uh, Powell said that he didn't want to hike rates prematurely uh, because you know it, 
inflation looked like it could be transitory. And so he didn't want to be preemptive and start hiking rates early, which, of course, everybody acknowledges he should have done. In fact, somebody at today's press conference you know, said, hey, you know, you were late to the party. You raised rates too late. Are you worried that you might be cutting them too late also? Which, of course, no, they shouldn't even be cutting them at all. But the reason they, they raised rates late is Powell said that, look, you know, we don't want to be preemptive. You know, we, we want to wait. And I said that that makes no sense, that the Fed is supposed to be preemptive. You don't wait till you see the whites of inflation's eye. You shoot first, because by the time you see the, the whites of inflation's eye, it's too late. I talked about the old expression, don't let the inflation genie out of the bottle. Well, what Powell said a few years ago is we're going to let the inflation genie out of the bottle because it's so easy to put it back in. That's what he said, basically. He said we don't want to risk hurting the economy based on a preemptive fight against inflation. We'd rather wait until we know for sure that inflation is a problem and then deal with it. Well, I said they were betting the farm on transitory. And I said, why? Why would you make such a crazy bet if you didn't have to? Well, the reason is the Fed thought they had to. And now they're doing the same thing again. Why not just maintain the rates where they are? Why not hike them a few more times just to make damn sure that inflation goes down? Because they can't do it. Because they're afraid to do that. Because they know that the economy is too fragile. We have too much debt for a real inflation fight. So we had a fake fight. And now we have a fake victory. Well, the markets are going to uh, ferret this out. uh, And that's why you're seeing uh, the decline in the dollar. That's why you're seeing the rise in the price of gold. Now, the only, you know, the market that's really got it wrong is the bond market because bonds rallied, right? Because, oh, the Fed's going to be cutting rates. So bonds are rallying, although the yield curve did steepen a bit because the 30-year didn't rally as much as the 10-year. But Bonds should not be going up. If the Fed is going to loosen policy, that means more inflation. That means that bonds are going to lose value. Also, this means bigger budget deficits. We're going to have larger trade deficits. That's going to mean bigger uh, deficits. The deficits are going to get bigger anyway because of the debt refinancing. And, And so... Bonds should be going down, and I think they will be going down. I think this is a great move to fade. I don't think there's much left to the bond rally. I think bonds are going to reverse, and they're going to follow the dollar lower, and gold is going to decouple. I think gold is going to rise even as bond prices fall because both are going to be rising because inflation. Inflation is going to be killing bonds, but it's going to be breathing new life into gold. Because now it's not going to be about, oh, the Fed has to fight harder uh, to beat inflation. It's inflation is already won and the Fed isn't even in the ring anymore. Um, We got the producer prices uh, this morning. And again, a low number. The uh, November number was supposed to come out at up 0.1 and it came out at zero. But it was an increase over the prior month where producer prices actually fell by 0.5. And a a lot of that was oil because oil has come down a lot. Year over year, producer prices up just 0.9. That was a little bit uh, below the 1% estimate and below the 1.3% from the prior year. But the core numbers are still problematic. 
uh, even though the month was unchanged, year-over-year -year core is still 2%. Uh, so technically, you know, at the that's the headline, at the Fed's 2% level, but it ain't going to stay there. And that's on the producer level, not on the consumer level. But even year-over-year um, uh, -year core, oh, that was year-over-year -year core. You have to take out some other things to get up 25 It's you know, X energy food and trade services. So that's two and a half percent year over year. But this really, these numbers represent the trough in the inflation numbers. So the, again, Powell is declaring victory and he just assumes that inflation is going to keep going down, even though he's going to start cutting rates. I mean, it's one thing to make that assumption. Say, look, we're just going to hold rates where they are. We're going to keep them at five and a quarter, five and a half for the next couple of years. And we think this is a restrictive level, and we assume that prices will keep falling, and we're just going to hold tight. He didn't say that. He's saying we're going to be cutting rates from five and a quarter, five and a half, where they are right now. We're going to be cutting rates all the way down to below three percent over the next couple of years. And in the face of all of that easing, I think inflation is still going to come down. That's what he's saying. It's still going to be on a glide path down towards two percent much lot more likely that it, it, it reverses, that we've already seen the trough of inflation and that it's going to keep on rising. And that's going to put the Fed into a big bind because the markets are not expecting any more hikes. But if inflation picks up and the Fed fails to deliver those hikes, then it's good night dollar. Gold's going to skyrocket. But if the Fed has to acknowledge that it got it wrong and if it has to take those cuts off the table that has already been priced into the market, well, then the market's going to crash and the economy is going to crash. And there's no way that Powell is going to do that in an election year, despite the fact that he said it wasn't about politics. It's always about politics and it's only about politics because Powell is a politician. That's why he got the job, right? <laughs> because he plays ball uh, with the politicians and that's what he's doing. Uh, and so in conclusion, this is the day that we've been waiting for. Uh, it is the pivot, the capitulation. And I think you got to get on board the inflation train. Uh, you know, you got you to buy your gold. You got to buy your silver. Uh, this, I, I think we're right near the bottom here. This 2000 level, I think people are going to look back at this as a very low price for gold and silver. I know the guys that shift gold are there. They're working tonight. They'll work all weekend. Uh, I think you just load the boat here on gold and silver. I, 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 in my mind, there's very little risk uh, to prices going low, uh, and there's tremendous upside potential for prices to go up. They, they, they've traded sideways. They built this enormous base, and it's like a launch pad as far as I'm concerned. And um, you know, we're just going up. I mean, again, I could be wrong, right? I mean, it's, it, but I, I think all of the uh, the evidence. Uh, supports that position and the risk reward is so skewed to the upside and especially with these mining stocks you know we had a big drop in, in mining stocks yesterday I think the last shakeout a lot of gold stocks were down uh, uh, four or five percent Franco Nevada one of the best gold stocks out there hit a 52 week low yesterday just yesterday now it was up five percent today but look at how much that stock is down Again, I talked on the last podcast 
that we had a recent 52-week low in Newmont Mining. So some of the premier largest companies were taken out and shot just before this major explosion in the price of gold. That indicates to me uh, that you know we've just shaken out the weaker hands and you know we've cleared the way to go up. I mean, I've been adding. I bought more personally uh, 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 this week as, as late as yesterday. I was buying uh, gold stocks on that on that sell-off because to me it was a gift. You know, just another opportunity to to, to buy more of these stocks. Uh, so again, if you can afford the risk, um, you know, this is where your risk capital should be. I think I've never seen a trade that has more upside potential relative to the downside risk than buying the miners right here. I mean, I've never seen. I mean, to me, it's much better than shorting the subprime market. That was a 10-bagger. I think the potential here is far greater than that. So this is your time. I mean, I've, I've been bullish for a long time on these stocks, and the fact that the rally has been so delayed just makes me that much more bullish because the problems are so much bigger. The dollar's decline will be more spectacular. The gold rally is going to be uh, that much bigger. So this move, because it was delayed for as many years as it was, I think the payoff for the people who were patient will be that much greater. You know, I've had conversations just you know recently this week with clients who have been with me for a long time who are throwing in a towel. I'm, I'm tired of waiting. And I have to remind them that what we're waiting for is going to happen in an even bigger way than I first believed. So it's going to be worth the wait. I mean, not from a perspective of, you know, from an American perspective. It's terrible. It's a disaster. It would have been so much better for the country if we had the crisis 10 years ago. Because maybe we'd have solved it by now and we'd be, you know, we'd be getting out of the hole instead of digging it, you know, into the Grand Canyon, which is what we've done. Uh, but I think my investment strategy is going to ultimately prove that much uh, more uh, you know, beneficial. I think the profits will end up being that much greater because they were delayed. right? So it doesn't mean they're not there. We waited longer. And it also means that I think the losses for the people who got it wrong are also going to be a lot greater, especially when you adjust those losses for inflation. In fact, you may have to adjust them for inflation to really experience uh, or, uh, or contemplate the magnitude of those losses. So um, if you're interested in getting these gold stocks, I mean, again, I like uh, the separately managed accounts at Euro Pacific Asset Management. Talk to the reps there at europac.com. You can buy my gold fund, No Load. Adrian Day manages it. It's pretty much on all the discount platforms. Make sure and buy uh, the No Load version of the fund. Read the prospectus. Make sure you're comfortable with the risks. And my basic strategies, my core strategies, my value and my dividend payer strategies, I think they're going to really benefit now from a huge tailwind. What I expect is a big drop in the value of the dollar now that the rate hikes are behind us and the rate cuts are in front of us. I think the market won't wait for the rate cuts to cut the value of the dollar. I think they're going to start cutting it down right now. And that obviously is going to be very bullish uh, for the foreign markets, in particular, the emerging markets, which I expect to be some of the star performers uh, when it comes to equities. They are real assets. They are inflation hedges. And I think they will do very well uh, with a weak dollar. Anyway, that's it for today's podcast. Don't forget to like and subscribe to the YouTube channel. And remember, coming up next, maybe a couple of minute break, I'm going to be taking your questions live at shiftradio.com. 
slash premium. So if you're not yet a premium member, subscribe, and I will see you in a few minutes. Bye for now.